sharp, pointed, and insightful. This is Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. You slap on tires to change the behavior of a trading partner, and it looks like the president got their attention. But he means business, and you know it. He's been completely consistent right. on this issue for four years now. He's absolutely deadly serious. In fact, I fully expect these, these tariffs to go on to at least the 5% level uh, on June 10th. The president is deadly serious about fixing the situation at the southern border. They've got tremendously strong immigration laws, much stronger than ours. They have the ability to do things that we cannot. Congress will not help us fix our laws, so we're turning to Mexico to help us fix the situation on the border. Now he is putting uh, some measures in place that hopefully will get them to engage more so that they will start to help us in this process. We can't continue down the path that we're on. We can't continue to operate as a sovereign country with no borders and without enforcement. And now, Stacey Washington. And now, <laughs> here we go. <laughs> I'm here, I'm sitting in the chair. And your ears, they're all mine. And I've got a fantastic program for you. Guess what? We are going to be chatting with Dr. John York, PhD, Heritage Foundation Fellow. Uh, he's a policy analyst with the B. Kenneth Simon Center for Principles and Politics. And he's going to join us to talk about the Honest Ads Act. We are also going to be discussing this. Uh, there's, there's, there's a phenomenon going on right now, which is that we have to talk about impeachment, 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 impeachment all day long. We have to do a dance. We have to pump our shoulders. We have to get a jig about impeachment. And when we do that, then that enables us to not think about some of our more pressing issues like, I don't know, the border. I, I don't know. Could it be that we have a little bit of an issue with um, the debt? that we're teeter-tottering on the brink of insolvency and all we can talk about is, you know, impeachment. So we're going to dig into that. We also have, this was like straight hot fire on online social media. This bishop, he says in a statement that Catholics cannot support, should not support, must not attend LGBTQ Pride Month events. And he lit the angry liberals on fire. They lost it. Um, they lit into him so hard from, from Hollywood stars, everybody. They're like, you can't be talking to us like that. And he just came back with another statement and said, oh, yes, I can. It's my job. We have to love everybody, but we don't have to celebrate the perversion. We don't have to celebrate it and participate in it. So fantastic. We'll get into that. Who was it? Where was he? Et cetera. Um, a federal judge has actually rejected Congress, run by the Democrats, the House, the controllers of the purse strings of the United States, he rejected their bid to stop the border wall. And I got to tell you, um, he said they don't have standing. Amazing. So that's good news for us. Um, we have some audio from the president about the Mexico tariffs, which is super important for us to understand his thinking on this. And I, I, I feel like I do. But this was good audio of him. Um, sometimes he's very, very clear and direct. And he just like boom, 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 each single point. And on this particular clip, I felt like he, he was in the zone. He just, he had something to say and he said it. And then, of course, um, I want to talk about Basketball Hall of Famer Rick Barry. So many things that go on in our government today are an insult to my intelligence. So we'll get to that in just a minute. But first, where was I today? Um, first of all, it's Blazing Saddles in St. Louis. And by Blazing Saddles, I mean, if you're outside, your forehead is beaded up with teensy little bits of perspiration. And if you're in the shade, the breeze is blowing and you can feel it and you're going to live. But if you're in the sun, you are, you know, you're, you're thinking to yourself, what happened to spring? 
And basically this year we had the worst winter and then we had spring that was nothing but monsoon type rain and sideways wind. And now it's summer. Thanks, St. Louis. I appreciate it. Um, maybe this is the global warming we were promised. Okay, I'm, I'm done. So <laughs> it's kind of crazy. But today uh, we went out to the Planned Parenthood at Forest Park and we had a, a, a full slate of speakers, some of the most fantastic people ever. Oh, I'm reaching in my pocket. I took my little list out. Um, a, a woman who used to run a Planned Parenthood in uh, Indiana, um, a lady who's local here. I'd never met her before today. She's a pro-life warrior. She was an amazing speaker. She was one of them. I spoke for a few minutes. It was a great afternoon. Um, the demons were out in full force. There were people actually sitting. They saw us outside with, you know, all of the cameras and everything. We had Fox News was there. No, they didn't interview me. What up with that? I'm, I'm wondering, did, have I been banned from Fox? Okay, never mind. Who cares? Um, and, and also, uh, there was CBS and a bunch of other organizations, just like new, real news cameras there to cover our side. And so glory to God for that. I mean... You know how it is sometimes the news can maybe not be as interested in our perspective on the pro-life side. They were there. They were there. And they interviewed people. And I, I got to give respect to them. I, I, I thought it was really it was really good of them to be there and cover our side as well. They were out with the Planned Parenthood people. Uh, they had a rally last week, I think, but not at the Planned Parenthood. And so it was it was interesting to see just to see so many camera trucks there uh, and news people and big cameras too. So um, it was a good, we, we prayed and we also heard from speakers and we just, we're just united around this demand that we have that the Planned Parenthood in St. Louis, if it's going to remain open, that it abide by the laws of the state of Missouri and the Missouri health department's request for interviews with all the doctors who are performing abortions and for them to come online with the, uh, safety requirements that the Missouri Department of Health has issued. That's that's it. License stays there. Obviously, I want to see it close. I want to see that Planned Parenthood become a pregnancy resource center. But it, you know, as long as abortion is legal in this country, it should be safe. And the standards that are issued by uh, governmental health organizations should be followed to the letter of the law. And if they're not, licenses should be revoked, and court cases should not be able to sidestep the authority given to the health department to make sure that places are safe for medical procedures. Point, period, done. Thank you so much. So that happened. We we were there. It was hot. Um, we waved signs. You can see some of them. I have, um, if you're watching the live stream, Pro-Life, Pro-Woman sign there from Students for Life and um, also another organization. We, we are so grateful to Governor Parsons for his work in this area and he's been really great and it's just been wonderful. Um, so, now I want to get to Rick Barry, who, to be honest, so I'd never heard of him before, but it's awesome that he's a Hall of Famer. Good, good stuff. And he has this, uh, the statement that he makes, and it was so logical. It just, you know how someone says something and it just clicks. It's just like putting a, one Lego into another Lego and it matches. It was just like that. Here he is in number three. I would think so. In fact, so many things that go on in our government today are an insult to my intelligence. I mean, seriously, how do you justify a country that's so far in debt? to borrow more money and give it away to countries that don't like you. 
And most of the money probably is going into the hands of the leaders of the country, not getting to the people to try to help them out. And then we spend billions of dollars on people who aren't even supposed to be in this country. And I know we were found on immigrants. I mean, but the people came over here and did it the proper way. And they took pride in being a part of America. And now we're spending billions of dollars. And the way, and I'm a big supporter of the military. I live in Colorado Springs and have lived there 35 years. I don't, I'm not there in the winter now. But Fort Carson, all of the, a lot of good military friends. The way that we treat our military or the people who have helped to make this country what it is today is reprehensible. That we have these guys living out in the streets, what's happening at the VAs. Why don't we take this money that we're borrowing and giving away and the money we're billions are spending on all of these immigrants and help our own people out first? Whoa, that kind of common sense almost hurts. He said we are treating individuals who've gone to foreign lands and defended the, and supported the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic. That's what you swear to do. You, you swear an oath to do that. And then you come back to the United States and you're just treated like, well, you're treated like a tool, you know, and, and that's not to say that everyone does this, but some people, when they're done with their tools, they just put them anywhere. They don't clean them and put them back in a certain place so they can be found easily the next time and to prevent them from rusting and going bad. They just throw their tools in, you know, maybe a toolbox or something like that. And the next time they need it, it may or may not be available to them or, or anything. Some people treat tools like tool the throwaways. They just toss it, you know, and if it works the next time, fine. If it doesn't, they'll just buy a new one. That's the way our service members are treated. And so if you come back, like, you know, I just, I'm very grateful to God that I didn't actually experience some of the things that we hear so often about people who served in our, in our armed forces, where they go overseas and they come back and they have PTSD or other physical ailments. And they just aren't able to get the kind of care and treatment that they deserve. They're not able to get it because we have a system that is government-based for the care of our veterans once they return home. And some of them, when they stay on active duty, that at least there's the opportunity to get much better care. But when they are, you know, just, they're just out in the civilian world, and if they stick with a VA, oh, it's just bad. And that, that's not right. And w the point that Rick Barry is making is that we have the money to take care of them, but we're currently spending it on Ill illegal aliens. And God bless the people who are living in these war-torn, gang-infested countries to the to the south of us but we are not responsible for them first we already send aid to help we already do a, a myriad of different things that our federal government does to help us and assist these these people but our service members they are our actual responsibility they have served this country and they deserve better than what they're getting from us and it's funny to hear something like this like funny you know interesting to hear him say this as a basketball hall of famer you know, so not someone who spent time in the military, but the point that he makes is valid. Also that we spend money caring for illegal aliens when we don't, we don't actually have our own budget in order, that we borrow money to give an aid to other countries that hate us. And so before someone says it, oh, we do that because if we don't give them the aid, then, you know, blah, 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 dot, 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 X, Y, Z. I don't care what you're saying. If So they want to go to war if we don't give them money? So we're paying them so they won't go to war with us? What's that all about? We're paying them so they won't, what, do terrorism? So they won't kill their own people? What, what, what good reason do we have to borrow the money, though? Even if you can make a proper justification for giving foreign aid to despots and countries that are really pits, that they don't improve. We give them billions of dollars. They don't improve at all. The circumstances for the citizens who live there do not improve. 
But how can you justify borrowing it to give to them? Why don't we just entice the countries that we're borrowing the money from to give the money directly to the countries we're borrowing it for? Now, we're borrowing for a lot more than that. Obviously, we have our unfunded liabilities, which are our people call them entitlements, but they're things that Americans paid money into to receive like Social Security. You've paid into that. That money is yours. It hasn't been invested properly. And so you're getting money back with a return that also that return money is borrowed. Why are we not focused on that? And so that, that's why we're calling today's show Impeachment Talk Distracts a Nation on the Brink of Insolvency. Everyone's busy doing whatever we do. And for those of us who are in the political arena, talking about political things, those in, you know, in Christian worldview and Christian radio, we're talking about some of everything. But the issue of our insolvency continues to be one that we avoid. So the Republicans were in charge for two years of President Trump's presidency, so far his administration, and they did not address the budget. They, they also didn't address illegal immigration. I mean, because I, I wish we could just say this was the Democrats' problem. And I love how now it's being framed as the Democrats are being obstructionists. Of course they are. They want the votes. But what about when the Republicans were in charge? Oh, OK. Yeah. They weren't in charge enough. That's what we always hear. On the budget, it's the same thing. Chip Roy, Republican from Texas, and Thomas Massey, Republican from Kentucky, John Rose, Republican from Tennessee, all objected to a disaster relief bill the House in the, in the House of Representatives that Congress refused to offset with cuts to other spending programs because they love to spend borrowed money and they make believe that they're actually balancing the budget somehow when they're really not. According to the U.S. debt clock, the, na- clock, the national debt is over $22 trillion dollars. Every citizen owes, every U.S. citizen, that means your kids owe it. So this is household debt. If you got four people in your household, multiply it by this number I'm about to give you. Every U.S. citizen owes $67,910 in debt. And each taxpayer, because the kids aren't yet taxpayers, are they? Taxpayers are on the hook for $181,885. Now, Brian Riddle of the Manhattan Institute sounded the alarm when he wrote on October 10th of 2018 that annual budget deficits are projected to soon pass surpass 1 trillion on their way to 2 trillion or even 3 trillion in the next 10 to 15 years. That's the annual deficit. Social Security and Medicaid, Medicare, face a combined 100 trillion dollar cash deficit over the next 30 years, which would push the national debt to nearly 200% of the gross domestic product. And we're talking about impeaching a president because he didn't commit collusion with the Russians. All right, marinate on that for a minute. We'll be back with more. We'll have John York from the Heritage Foundation. I'm Stacey Washington. When an abortion-minded woman walks into a pre-born pregnancy center, she encounters love and compassion and gets to meet her baby by ultrasound. And I was like, I'm going to go to the abortion clinic. And I already had my mind made up. This mom didn't make it to the abortion clinic. Instead, God led her to a pre-born center. And the lady is giving me my ultrasound. She's like making these weird faces. And then she's like, it's two. And I'm like, I just start crying. I started texting my friends and like, I can't. The Ministry of Preborn was able to help this mom save not just one life, but two through ultrasounds. Preborn centers help save babies' lives and souls. 
Preborn runs and leads Christian pregnancy centers all over the country. To find out more, go to preborn.com. That's preborn.com. Or dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby. That's pound 250 and say baby. Your love can save a life. Hi, I'm Crawford Loritz with a Legacy Moment. I have a friend who was greatly wronged by a man he respected and trusted. He felt used and manipulated. Soon bitterness took residence in his heart. The more he thought about what this man had done to him, the more he despised him. In fact, he struggled with hatred toward him, and it became apparent to all around him. You know, associating with people means we run the risk of being offended. God's going to hold that person responsible for what they do, but he also holds us responsible for our reaction. We're never free to repay evil for evil. To hate or despise someone is to commit murder in our hearts. In fact, that's one of the things that God says he hates in Proverbs chapter 6, verses 16 and 17. The text says, There are six things which the Lord hates, yes, seven which are an abomination to him, haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood. There's a broader principle here. God hates hands that shed innocent blood. I doubt that there are too many of us that are going out there trying to shed someone's blood. But perhaps we have done that in our hearts. Perhaps our attitude toward the mistreatment and manipulation we've experienced has driven us to think things that are not right and to harbor hatred in our hearts and mind. Or we might be the individual who intentionally is going out to use someone, to deceive someone, to manipulate them. God hates mistreatment of the innocent. Furthermore, hatred is a form of murder. We don't want to go there. Sometime you may want to read Matthew chapter 5, verse 22. Well, here's what I want you to remember today. Cry out to God to help you forgive and love those who have hurt you. Don't abuse, mistreat, or manipulate people. Join Crawford Loritz tomorrow for another Legacy Moment. Welcome back to Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Hey, welcome back to the program. Stacey Washington here, 2018 Journalist of the Year for the Second Amendment Foundation. Also, host of Stacey on the Right here on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Thanks for making your home here today. We are so excited with our next guest, who is a frequent joiner of the program, John York, PhD, policy analyst at the B. Kenneth Simon Center for Principles and Politics at the Heritage Foundation. John, thanks for coming on today. Uh, thanks for having me again. It's always a pleasure. You know, it's good to talk to you. And this is, um, this is one of those ones that really, it, it, it burns me up when I see these bills that come through with names like the Honest Ads Act, which just dupes Americans into thinking, this has got to be something I can support. You know, they, it, I'm so used to everyone saying, oh, you got to be against this. You got to be against that. You hear something like the Honest Ads Act, you're like, finally, something I can support. <laughs> right. But this is not that. <laughs> no, it's not. So it's being billed as, uh, who, who said don't let a good crisis go to waste, right? That was one of Obama's people. I'm forgetting now who. Um, but anyway. Rahm Emanuel, I think. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I think mm-hmm. it's Rahm Emanuel. This is an example of that where, you know, Russians, Russian interference with the election is giving uh, gloss to something Democrats have wanted to do for a very long time, which is to apply the sort of regulations that uh, uh, cover television and radio advertisements to the Internet. 
the problem is what, what an ad on the internet is, is. It's a lot harder to say. It's not a not a medium like broadcast where there's clear lines between what's paid and what's not. Oftentimes, and so it'd be very difficult to to make a one for one conversion of the laws that apply to these other broadcast means and the internet. And in any way, it's not really clear that 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 would address the problem. It's not as though Russian trolls were paying for a whole lot of advertisements <laughs> such, such that you could tell them to to, to stick on a paid-for ad and that they paid for, you know, Russian intelligence agency. That, that's not going to happen. It, that's, the law purports to be about one thing, but is really aimed at us, not aimed at Russia. So, yeah, it's, 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 it's a classic Rahm Emanuel not letting a good crisis go to waste. And it's shepherding in stuff, uh, a way of tamping down domestic speech when it's really purporting to be about foreign interference. Not a good idea. Not a good bill. Okay, so I know this is this is totally rhetorical, but I can't I can't let you like be here and not ask you this. <laughs> Why are Democrats so bent on being underhanded in, tr- in in the ways that they fight back against you know ideas on the right? Right, and, and I mean I, I want to be really clear here. It's not that I don't understand their desire to vanquish us on the field of, bat- of battle and drive our women and children before, before you know, before them in, in uh, you know, submission. I get it. They want right. to win. But what is going on with this idea that um, the only way they can win is by doing stuff like underhanded, dirty dealing, like calling something the Honest Ads Act, where it will only impact conservatives so they can try to stop us from basically exercising the same rights that they exercise? Well, they just know where their advantages lie. They know that they have a huge that we're always um, facing a headwind when it comes to print media and broadcast media because so many people in the mainstream media are on the left. I mean, Stacy on the right. There, well, there aren't that many of us, right? No, there <laughs> aren't. And I'll, I'll just, I'll just full disclosure. There aren't that many of us, and those of us that are out here, like, you know, you you are on a lot of mainstream television, and you do a lot of writing and a lot of work, but if I go out and ask a garden variety liberal if they know who you are, they're not going yeah, to know who do. you are. Same thing with me. I, a lot of people right. on the right know who I am, but I'm certainly not as famous as our biggest names, and, I, and many, many liberals have not only never heard of me, they don't even, un, like, black women on Christian radio talking about conservative politics— that that's such a mind blower. They wouldn't even. They probably think, "Oh, you're just pulling my leg." That's not real. So we're we really are facing. It's more than headwinds. It's like we're running into a tornado. Yeah, that's exactly right. So the Democrats, whenever they they can propose things that sound modest on their face, but they know that when they drive out um, other voices, be it through campaign finance, quote unquote reform, when they prevent. Um, uh, people who don't agree with them necessarily from buying advertisement time that they can give away for free, that the left can give away for free to whomever they like, they know they're empowering people who already agree with them, which is to say the people who own NBC and MSNBC and ABC and you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, right down the line. Insofar as they can keep out those counter-narratives, it only boosts the voice of, of groups that are going to be singing their praises. Yeah, and they have they don't just have the groups. Like I used to really kind of be concerned about think progress and places like that. And they are dastardly effective groups. Right. But the wh- why would I worry about a group like that? When like when they've been infighting with each other, if they destroy each other, it matters not because when I turn on the news tonight, 
I'm going to get the leftist slant on my local news station and most of the cable news, except for um, obviously Fox News is there. You got one American News now. You know, you have a few spots, but it, it, the, comparatively speaking, they're winning that side, yet they're still doing this. And, and it will work with millions of Americans who will just read Honest Ads Act and they'll be like, that's totally something we should support. Yeah, absolutely. And the, these bills kind of work in two ways. One, they just simply drive money out of politics. That's the biggest impact. But the second impact is they make it so complicated and the rules so convoluted that people are afraid to even do what's legally permissible because they don't really know what the law entails or whether or not they're opening themselves up to a legal challenge or a fight with the Federal Election Commission or the FCC. So so it muddies the water and creates a chilling effect where people are censoring themselves from even speaking in the ways that they're permitted to. So it's a twofold problem. I mean, a system that was that's more simple would be much better than adding these layers of complexity and 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 confusion as the quote unquote honest ad act honest ad act would would do. So what would be helpful? Because I know one thing that I get accused of is you just oppose everything. You oppose every new bill. You oppose every kind of you know anything that would improve anything for the government. And that's not exactly true. But I, I do tend to be like, oh, new bill, I probably won't be in favor of that. Like there's there's almost nothing that can be proposed that I'm automatically in favor of. So what could we do if we needed to make some changes in the way that ads are disclosed, you know, who paid for it, etc. Is there anything that needs to be done? Or is this just them trying to further clamp down on us? And that's it? I think there are things that could be done in terms of transparency generally. Like if you if you're to go, I'm kind of a geek, so I look at these lobbying disclosure forms from time to time. Not very many Americans do. I do. It's very difficult to tell who's asking for what in Washington. It would be good to have lobbying disclosure forms that that actually disclosed what people are lobbying for. That'd be a good place to start. We know where the vast bulk of money goes when it comes to campaigns. But what lobbyists are doing, and that's by far the biggest chunk of money being spent by, by corporations and, and nonprofits, et cetera, that, that, that would be good on, on the transparency end. But then also, counterintuitively, I think it would be better when it comes to campaign finance to open things up. What we have now is pretty low caps on what you can give directly to a candidate, but no limits at all on what you can give to a super PAC. So as a result, a lot of money flows to super PACs and very little relatively less money goes to political parties and to and campaigns than, than used to or that otherwise might. It'd be better if people could do with their money what they please and they could give to a candidate directly if they want. Because there's really nothing special about super PACs. Why should they be able why should, why should they have this enormous advantage? And if you look at some of the most misleading and, and kind of gross ads that have been run over the years, mostly by super PACs. Because they're creatures of an hour, too. You know, they haven't been at it for a long time. Sometimes they're a little more amateurish, and anywhere they're going to go away, their reputation isn't going to be tarnished because they're not going to exist in the next election cycle. So I, I think, in a way, candidates getting money and spending it directly for themselves is safer, and I don't think they should be subject to, the, to, the, to these really quite low limits um, if what it means is super PACs are going to be out there dominating the airwaves as their surrogates. Okay, John. So I saw a story this morning um, about how, the, so it's really these super PACs that you're talking about often have 
the ones that you're talking about that are fly by night that run the ads that are kind of um mm-hmm. You know the not so great great ones. Well, they like they the, actually the Mitt Romney. Remember the, when Mitt Romney was accused of killing that that yes. factory worker's wife? That was a super PAC ad. And, yes. You know, so, yeah. so garbage like that. Um, right. They, but these these organizations also have some. They have some like pretty low numbers of how much of the money that goes into them actually goes to the stated cause. And isn't that the case also that they're kind of like. They're, they're not as tidy with their spending as some of the other organizations that have been around longer that have, like you said, the reputational value to protect. Yeah, I, I don't I haven't really followed the internal uh, the internal um, financial uh, dealings of these groups particularly much. But I wouldn't be surprised if that's true because they have to stand up a pretty big infrastructure um, and then. You know, a lot of times you sort of learn along the way. The national parties have have been at it for a long, long time, and they sort of know what's feasible, what's not. They can, you know, t- tell whether or not they're getting built or or not by a vendor. Whereas a super PAC, who's only exi- that's only existed for a short amount of time and doesn't have a lot of experience, may find it getting uh, getting uh, built <laughs> or getting hoodwinked by people it's contracting with. I wouldn't be surprised at all if they're getting not a lot of value for their money relative to other spenders, maybe like candidates or political parties. So so in, in the end, we do want some more transparency. We don't want this Honest, ad, Honest Ads Act, obviously, but we want some more mm-hmm. transparency. And then the super PAC. So it's one thing that I never hear, well, I, I rarely hear people say, oh, we need this, the super PACs to go away. Because the super PACs do serve a purpose, which is, like you said, if there's an ad you want to run that you don't want associated with your, your organization, but you do want it out there, even if it's going to destroy the super PAC's reputation, it's just like it's a one-off. It's a bomb you're setting right. off. You're, you're going to send that through the super PAC. You're not going to send it through the candidate's committee or someplace closer to home. And so right. because they serve that purpose, it means that they're much less likely to be actually done away with. Yeah. Now, I, I definitely don't think super PACs should be done away with at all. They play an extremely valuable role. I mean, if you, if you have a general political message to get out there, or you want to have clear control over the message that that you want to project when it when it comes to a candidate, then by all means, super PACs are are your instrument. They're what you want to use. But for a lot of people, they just want to support a candidate. They should be able to do that too. So it should be a, a both and, not an either or. And to the extent that super PACs really just look like any other kind of speech, we're not going to cap that. The Supreme Court has made very clear capping super PAC donations is clearly unconstitutional. I agree. So what can we do? Well, open it up a little bit. Allow people to give more money to uh, candidates and national parties if that's what they want to do. And then, of course, allow them to give to super PACs if that's what they want to do. Yeah, I, I like that idea. Um so, Good, I'm glad I got one convert. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I'm, I'm so I I tend to defer to those who have the expertise in in that area. I just know I see a lot of emails fundraising, and some of the emails that I that I get, first of all, they, it's one group, maybe it's a master group, like the big grandfather group of them all, that shares the emails because all I have to do is give my email out once, and then I'm getting eight fundraising emails from different organizations, yeah, and annoying. some of them, the title of them, like it says, it's coming from Newt Gingrich. 
What happened to know Newt Gingrich isn't emailing me asking me for money because I've asked him to come on the show and I've never heard a response back. So if he's not (laughs) coming on the show, I doubt if he would ask me for money. Um, And it's the same thing. Like Sarah Huckabee Sanders wants you to give. I got a letter in the mail that said it was for Melania Trump. And I'm like, I know this isn't for Melania Trump. I just know it isn't. So, you know, there's there's some of that going on. But I know that there is some great work that can be done with the super PACs. Like they, they're able to kind of marshal law, large groups of people because their email lists are so large and get people to move on issues, which, you know, sometimes it's harder for candidates who are newer or different state organizations to do, like little little organizations in, in the state of Missouri. They might have the mailing list, but it's kind of dead. People don't really respond where the super PACs seem to have the more active people that they're interacting with. No doubt. I mean, super PACs that play, especially right now, where where you do have these caps on candidates and parties, and even if you were to get rid of those caps, having super PACs is extremely valuable because you're exactly right. It collects up a, uh, a lot of people who would have a difficult time just on their own paying for paying to get their ideas out there, collects a bunch of like-minded people, and, and is able to sort of counteract these media narratives, uh, these mass media narratives that we're talking about earlier, without these uh, super PACs aggregating capital and sort of pushing back and being able to make very, very expensive ad buys because the, the expense goes up and up every, every year, um, we really would be left with a situation where we're beholden on the mass media to tell us what candidate X and candidate Y are for and what issues are really most important in the election. We don't want that situation. The, the super PACs being able to spend as they do is much, much better than that alternative, for sure. No doubt. Okay. So, and, and, and I'm hoping that for, you know, uh, all of the listeners here at American Family Radio, we're getting a better, uh, kind of a better grip on what this is really about. And obviously, part of the reason we're talking today is that we're exposing the Honest Ads Act as just another farce that, that really isn't worth the time or the paper that it's being printed on. Um, and right. it should never get through Congress. It, it might because the Democrats control there, but it certainly shouldn't get through the Senate. So I, I want to just, if, I, if we have time, just push back on this idea that the, the scale, we can, while it's important that Russia attempted to hijack our election, no doubt, it's important to realize the, the scale in comparison to the total amount of Internet content out there. So they disseminated something like 2.1 million tweets, which sounds like quite a lot, except for that 500 million tweets are sent out every day. Uh, they purchased about 3,000 Facebook advertisements, which is not a particularly huge amount when you consider the, the budget of Facebook. Uh, I think they spent $100,000 on, on social media ads. And uh, it, it's just it's just not a, a tremendous amount at all. And mm, there's, perfect. So, well, I think you, you encapsulated that, and I certainly... I'm so glad you're doing the research um, and staying on top of this. John York, PhD for the Heritage Foundation. Thank you, sir, for your time today. Really, do whom they choose, then I think we can we can count that as a win. All right, perfect. All right, we will talk to you again soon. Have a great one. We'll be back with more after this. This is Uncommon Moments. Here's former Super Bowl winning NFL coach Tony Dungy and his wife Lauren sharing from their book Uncommon Marriage. When you're committed to your spouse, you find that over time you learn about him or her, but you can also learn about his or her family. The more I interact with Tony's family, the more I understood how Tony was wired. One of the things I learned about Lauren and her family was that her family liked to talk with each other. If I was going to learn to love Lauren effectively, 
I would need to learn to open the doors of communication with her as well. Learn as much as you can about your spouse through their family. It'll make things easier for both of you to handle and appreciate the differences in each other. Tony and Lauren Dungy, authors of Uncommon Marriage, learning about lasting love and overcoming life's obstacles together. Discover more at CoachDungy.com. My drinking got so bad that my friends would drag me into my parents' house unconscious. But here at Teen Challenge, I'm finally alcohol-free. And if you think I'm happy, you should see my parents. If you or a loved one are struggling with addiction, Adult and Teen Challenge can help. There are centers across the country and you can find the one nearest you at 855-END-ADDICTION or at TeenChallengeUSA.com. This is Urban Family Talk. Romans 13, 14 says, Clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the desires of the flesh. So what are you clothing yourself with? Whether we realize it or not, what we allow in our temples affects our way of living. We can't feed ourselves junk and expect to hear from the Lord. Clothe yourself with the righteousness of God at urbanfamilytalk.com. Media Minute with Howard Kurtz. A whole bunch of Hollywood studios is threatening to boycott Georgia after the state adopted a restrictive law that seeks to ban abortions once a fetal heartbeat is detected, which can be as early as six weeks into pregnancy. Now, these include Time Warner and HBO, CBS, NBC Universal, AMC, Netflix, Sony, and Disney. In fact, Disney CEO Bob Iger was out front on this. He said, I think many people who work for us will not want to work there, and we have to heed their wishes in that regard. Now, it's no secret that Hollywood is mostly made up of liberal people in the entertainment business, that they are mostly pro-choice, that they would, of course, abhor something like the Georgia law. At the same time, this law being more restrictive than many others raises the question of whether the state would feel an economic impact if it goes through. I don't think these studios really want to bail on Georgia. I think they just want to get the law changed. With your Media Minute, Howie Kurtz, Fox News. You can download episodes of Stacy of the Right from the podcast page on AFR.net or UrbanFamilyTalk.com. Now, back to the show on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Millions of people are flowing through Mexico. That's unacceptable. Millions and millions of people are coming right through Mexico. It's a 2,000-mile journey, and they're coming up to our border. And our Border Patrol, which is incredible, they're apprehending them. But our laws are bad because the Democrats don't want to pass laws that could be passed in 15 minutes, that could be passed quickly. In one day, it could change. But even beyond the laws, Mexico shouldn't allow millions of people to try and enter our country. And they could stop it very quickly. And I think they will. And if they won't, we're going to put tariffs on. And every month, those tariffs go from 5% to 10% to 15% to 20 and then to 25%. And what will happen then is all of those companies that have left our country and gone to Mexico are going to be coming back to us. And that's okay. That's okay. But I think Mexico will step up and do what they should have been done. And I don't want to hear that Mexico is run by the cartels and the drug lords and the coyotes. I don't want to hear about that. A lot of people are saying that. Mexico has something to prove, but I don't want to hear that they're run by the cartels. You understand. You report on it all the time. A lot of people do. 
That would be a terrible thing. Mexico should step up and stop this onslaught, this invasion into our country, John. Yeah, they should. Uh, That was the president talking to John Roberts of Fox News about stopping the invasion. And it's it's so simple, really. It's laws we already have on the books. It's uh, a partnership with Mexico that is so beneficial to them. They can't afford to lose it. Why not just do what the president is asking and uh, take care of the, 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 the invasion? Just, just stop it. Now, I have, and I don't know if you guys ever do this, sometimes the president of Mexico, the current one and then the one before him, they'll be on foreign language television talking about something and they'll get asked about the you know, relationship with the United States, the trade relationship with the United States, or they'll be asked about the illegal immigration um, and the fact that so many Mexicans come here to live instead of staying in their home country, which is a statement about how badly their country bites. You see what I'm saying? Like I get people who they get angry at me for saying that, but if Mexico was so awesome, then why do, why do y'all need so many of our jobs there? If Mexico is such a fantastic thing, why do so many Mexicans choose to live here while celebrating being Mexican? It's like saying, um, yeah, I work for this company that's really awful and I want to go work somewhere else. And you go work at a new place and the, you say about the old company, yeah, but it was the best place ever. Well, what if it was the best place ever? Why did you just stay there? How about that? Like, you know, you can't, you can't have it both ways and you can't talk out of both sides of your mouth. Either Mexico's fantastic and you love living there and it is the best place on earth to live and Cinco de Mayo all day long or... You're here in America because it's better here in America and Mexico has some work to do. Same thing with those other countries. But back to the issue of whether or not they're helping, they're not helping. And when their presidents are on the news, they often will say something like, well, but there's a human right or human rights issue with people needing to have the ability to emigrate to countries where they can be safe. And so he's in essence saying that while he respects America's desire to have a southern border that's sealed up and for Mexico not to facilitate an invasion, they have a duty to people who look like themselves to offer them the opportunity to travel through Mexico to get to America as they're able to do because they just have the luck of proximity in the other countries. They don't. So they can't really, it's a human rights issue. It's a humanitarian issue. And when you hear him say that, you kind of think to yourself, so you're saying, that El Salvador and Honduras, for example, are awful. And you know Mexico is better, but the United States is the best. So rather than keeping them there with you in Mexico and burdening yourself or stopping them from coming in altogether, because you can't do that, you're saying, "Uh, they really just need to go to America. That has to be something that we put a stop to, right? We have to say to them, Look, we have enough of our internal issues with Democrats and Republicans who refuse to admit that our border needs to be sealed up without you helping to facilitate it by sending the people, by allowing them to move through your country. So it's it's more than one issue. But the part of it that has to do with Mexico does need to be dealt with. So that brings us to this story, which this is the good news part of today. I know it's not Friday, but I'll take good news every day of the week. It's a federal judge in Washington, D.C., ruled yesterday against a House the House Democrats and the House Democrats actually filed suit to block the Trump administration from reappropriating money from the Defense Department and other sources to fund the border wall. So here's how it broke out. Um, President Trump declared a national emergency back in February. You remember that? And then reprogrammed almost six billion to build border wall. 
In addition to the $1.4 billion appropriation that Congress authorized for border barriers, the administration sequentially reallocated $600 million from the Treasury Department's forfeiture fund, $2.5 billion from Defense Department counter-narcotics activities, and $3.6 billion from military construction. So House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, House Democrats, and they actually went to court to challenge the latter two reallocations. So the Treasury, actually, no, the Defense Department counter-narcotic activity money of $2.5 billion and the military construction money of $3.6 billion. That's the part that they sued over. The suit accuses President Trump of violating the Administrative Procedure Act, APA, and the Constitution's Appropriations Clause, which gives Congress the power of the purse. Now, the courts have allowed legislatures to bring cases alleging institutional injury before, but the judge in this case actually said that those few instances involved episodes in which legislative power was effectively nullified. The judge said precedent, historical practice, and current conditions show that Congress has many tools to block whatever steps the administration takes to reprogram money for the, bro- the border wall. And he said, above all of those things, Congress could override Trump's veto of a resolution overturning his national emergency declaration. Congress could also hold hearings on administrative spending priorities, amend appropriation laws to prohibit the use of federal dollars for border wall construction, expand remedies for private parties who sue the government to block the project. The availability of these institutional remedies shows that there is no complete nullification of the House's power. Now, Congress has several political arrows in its quiver to counter perceived threats to its sphere of power. These tools show that this lawsuit is not a last resort for the House. And this fact is also exemplified by the many other cases across the country challenging the administration's planned construction of the border wall. So those those are quotes from his uh, his opinion that that or his decision on on the the lawsuit. So it's a win for the Trump administration, but there's a federal judge in California who has temporarily prohibited the government from shifting funds from other programs to pay for the border wall in May. So the Department of Justice welcomed yesterday's decision, and of course the other cases will percolate on through. Um, I, it is a victory, but it's a hollow one for me because I feel that as this judge noted, there is this, there, there are remedies for Congress. And the reason Congress doesn't take those remedies is because they can't get them through the Senate. So they could pass them through the house, nullifying the president's actions or what have you, but the Senate would never vote to ratify those because it's controlled by the Republicans. And beyond that, these are all distractionary tactics, I believe, to remove the will of the American people who every poll shows Americans want less immigration and they definitely want the border sealed. Every poll shows that Americans are very, very, very philanthropically minded and willing to give, but they don't think we should have huge numbers of illegal aliens pouring into our cities and rural areas. And the proof is from a couple of months ago when the president said he would begin to ship illegal aliens in large numbers to places like San Francisco and California and, and uh, Florida, just, just, you know, he, he started naming off some places. He said liberal enclaves, and then they started using words like punishment and et cetera, et cetera, which shows me they don't see illegal aliens as a net good. They see them as a net negative. So I'm, I'm, I'm interested to see how this continues to develop. Call lines are open. <laughs> I should have mentioned that at the beginning of this segment. 866 963 
Uh, you can call into the show and talk about anything we've had on so far this hour. Um, and I also wanted to um, point you to StacyOnTheRight.com. Check it out. We have cool content up over there. And you can also share our 60-second spots, which you can find at SoundCloud. But I have a link to all of that over at StacyOnTheRight.com. T-shirts are available for purchase as well, hoodies, etc., cups, the mugs. And um, we're still working on some other cool stuff, but... For now, that's that's plenty. That's plenty. Um, so call on 866-963-2037, 866-963-2037. So we had um, a really interesting, and I, I just keep thinking about the people who were yelling and screaming. Um, and that's one of the things that sometimes when you say, I want people to come out and pray outside of the, you know, the abortion clinic, a lot of what happens is people are afraid. They're like, oh, you know, I don't, I don't want to go out there because they're, they're worried about getting yelled at or accosted or what have you. And, but you have to remember from the movie Unplanned, if you went to go see that, you know that what happens is you're waging war. You're out there, you're praying. So it doesn't look like much. It looks like nothing is happening. But inside the clinic, it's pandemonium. And people see you praying outside the clinic and they'll turn around and they'll, they'll, they won't go in. They won't drive into the parking lot. Meanwhile, Thrive has their bus out there that it's a fully operational medical center where you can get pregnancy tests and, and, and a mammogram and, you know, an ultrasound if you already know you're expecting. And it's all free and no pressure. And if you decide to leave that van and go to the Planned Parenthood parking lot and make an appointment and you go through with it and have an abortion, you can still go back to that Thrive van afterwards for post-care. Um, you can plug into them and... Yeah, I'd like someone to pray with me. I'd like a Bible study. I, I, whatever. There's no, well, you went to Planned Parenthood, so we can't help you anymore. Nope. They're still there to help you. They're still there. They're not going to stop because you decided to make that decision. They're there to help women. So uh, it was really interesting today. A um, lot of great people out there. It was, it, there were quite a few people who were so upset by the sight of a bunch of us just standing around with signs that they hurled profanity. One, one lady got out of the side of her car and as the car was driving by, she sat out of the window with her head above the car and screamed profanities as she was driving by. And some of the people who, that I was standing near were saying, oh, you know, wow, um, she's really angry and, and look, you know, she's just, wow. And I said, yeah, she's hurting. Something's going wrong. And one of the ladies who was there, she was like, what do you mean she's hurting? I said, well, you don't scream profanities when you're happy and content and satisfied with yourself. Seeing us here has hurt her in some way. And that's why she's screaming those expletives and all of that. And it's the truth. It's the same thing I think about the people who send the, the hate mail to me, which it goes to my spam box. And then I'll see it when I'm looking for an email, a real email. And I just skim through and I see just, you know, it gives you the first two or three words. And I see those and I see it's nothing but profanity. And I know that that's because they've heard something on the show and it's pointed out something that's going on within them. That's what's upsetting them. And then they're upset by that. So then they want to lash out, which doesn't, it doesn't hurt me at all. It doesn't stop anything that I'm doing at all. Um, I know all of the curse words. I've seen them before. I've seen all the different uh, combinations right? <laughs> I told y'all I used to be a perverse, a professional cursor when I was on active duty in the Air Force back in my, my younger years, I was on active duty. Um, and I knew all of the best combinations because my dad was a cop. Yeah. 
So there's, you're not shocking me at all. Um, and nothing is happening because of that. But I know you're hurting. That, that's what we know when, when I see that. Call lines are open 866-963-2037. Jerry in Mississippi. Hey, thanks for calling the show today. Hey, Jerry, thanks for calling in. Hey, Stacy, how are you doing? Good, how are you? All right, I was calling in regards to uh, the Equality Act. Uh, uh, my, my question is, when, when will the Senate uh, pick this up as far as you know, voting for the passage or the block, blocking of this Equality uh, uh, Act or whatever? Um, so H.R. 5, yeah, the Equality Act, I actually don't know uh, when they're when they're planning on moving that forward. So it's not going to get through the Senate. First of all, there will be a couple of Republican senators who think they want to jump in on that. But I don't think they're going to be they're going to have the votes to pass it in the Senate, which means it's dead on arrival. So it's really just something for the Democrats to use to run on uh, for their candidates. It's not really a serious effort. Um, I think we have call for time for one quick, super quick. Well, actually, yeah, super quick call. Can we go to Trey in uh, Massachusetts, I think? No? All right, well, hold on. If you're in the call queue, we have like less than a minute left here. Um, We can still get to you. (laughs) Um, And I also want to just, again, you guys, you totally have to be um, excited about the tariff that the president has announced for Mexico. Not because we love tariffs. And, and please don't be under the impression that I'm like, I think tariffs are awesome. I think the president is using them as a tool of the last resort to get something done on our behalf that he promised to do when he was running. And I, I really like a promise keeper. Can I just say that? Can I just tell you that? I like a promise keeper. I like it when someone says to me, this is what I will do. And then they do it. Or if they say, I won't do that, they don't do it. That, that's that's honorable, and that's something we are kind of losing our grip on, and we, we need to get that back. Is he successful yet? Not yet, but he's working on it. I'll take that any day. All right, Stacey Washington. This is Stacy on the right. OneNewsNow.com, news and information up next. If you're leaving us, God bless from the heartland. If you're sticking around, I'll be right back.